with Jose Patiño. Today we will be talking about what is going on at the border. On last episode, we talked about detention, the never-ending cycle. Can you give us a little recap, Jose, for our audience who didn't hear the last episodes? Uh, so a little bit of recap on the last episode is we, we talked about the, the nature of detention um, and understand the, the influence that private prison lobby has on ensuring that people are in their prisons um, by influencing poli- policymakers to pass laws criminalizing immigrants, um, as well as the the narrative that they influence giving money to certain organizations that criminalize and dehumanize immigrants. Um, so uh, that's that's the new phenomenon that we have seen since 1986. Uh, and before that, detention was more of a KU process, do you meet certain criteria for certain immigration status? If you do, you are either, if you do, then you enter the country, have a, a visa status. If you don't, then you're deported to your home country. But we have seen a shift from, hey, we're going to process you to, no, we're going to detain you and make your life miserable. And we have heard a lot of torture stories and traumatizing stories of people who have been there for years, months, who have just been stopped for driving uh, and, and or just entering the country. So, Patiño, I know you want to tell more, but if you do want to learn more about detention, the never-ending cycle story, make sure you check out our previous episodes and also hear from Celeste, who, who is an incredible human being and was able to open up and share her story about being separated from her dad years ago. So, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about seeking asylum at the border. But before we go into it, I know we've been hearing a lot in the news about what is happening mean in our southern border so jose can you give us a little recap about what is happening on the southern border well uh, so right now the, the thing that is on the news is you have uh, mothers and fathers coming with their infants and, and youth coming to the border seeking asylum um so they're they're coming in because of fleeing violence uh economic instability political instability uh and just insecurity overall because them themselves have been victims of a crime or they have family members who have been killed or threatened off their lives. So they're coming into the country and seeking refuge. Um, like biblical terms is when uh, Mary and Joseph went and with baby Jesus and went and knocked on doors and asking for refuge because they were fearing for their life. So that's what's happening. And right now what we have is the U.S. government uh, with the direction of uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions saying, no zero zero tolerance policy we're going to put you in a detention center um in some cases in cages and for the longest time they were separated mothers and fathers from children um you have one-year-olds two-year-olds three-year-olds four-year-olds taking care of themselves changing their diapers um there's audio of just babies crying and not knowing what to do or asking for their mom and if you know anything about child behavior or child um, development is that at this point in time, children need their parents on somebody who can take care of them to build that emotional relationship. And the U.S. government is actively uh, separating them, actively traumatizing them. And for me, what worries me is that we're, going, we're, we're seeing right now the effects of the Obama deportation policy and our current uh, youth that is coming up. So we're going to see in the future uh, those policies that are implemented right now. And this is just scary uh, because we're going to have a ton of people who are just being traumatized and dehumanized. 
And I think that's something that is extremely important for people to know that this is not only something that is currently going to have an impact of the people who are there facing the separ family separation, children who are crying, but this is going to have a long-lasting impact in our communities because these children are going to be living within us, and then if family members are able to win their asylum case, they're going to be integrated into our society, and we're inflicting tremendous amount of trauma. Hey, Reina, we've been talking about asylum, uh, but can you tell the, the public what is the difference between refugee and asylum seeker and why does it matter? So something that is important to note is that people who are recognized as refugees um, here in our country in the U.S. Are, are people who are coming from a country that the U.S. recognizes them as having extreme violence or extreme conditions like genocide or civil war or things like that. But the most important thing to note is that the U.S. has to recognize them as refugees. On the other hand, asylum seekers is not the whole population. So those are case-by-case -case basis. So if someone has been a victim of a crime, typically organized crime or political, political extortion or any other really violent crime that they cannot stay in their home country, they can be petitioning for asylum. So that's the main differences. What we are seeing right now is that a lot of people, specifically from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, are coming in and showing up at the port of entry and asking for asylum because they're afraid about their well-being or they have been victims of their crime, of specific crimes. The U.S. could do something really easy and recognize Guatemala or El Salvador or Honduras as an area that there's extreme violence, meaning that they will be refugees and they will have a process where they can have a legal channel where they can be petitioning to be here in the U.S. But the U.S. is not doing that and instead is letting them go case by case, even though there is multiple cases for those countries. And then when that happens, something to note is that let's say that I am a woman who is from Guatemala and I suffer extreme violence but I organize gang in in my country and then I come and I petition to the US the land of opportunity and I seek asylum then they will put me in the, in a detention center and I will be there indefinitely until my asylum case gets resolved so does that make sense Jose about the difference between refugee and asylum yeah, it does. And I think to highlight is that by the the U.S. not uh, U.S. not accepting foreign policy implications in the past that have affected negatively uh, countries like Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, uh, then we create this is crisis is created. Uh, if the U.S. would accept that certain policies have been passed in the have have done harm in the past then the system and the process will be differently and we will see the people who are coming at the border differently. And that's the frustration part for us is that we know these people are seeking refuge and there are refugees, yet the U.S. will not accept the harm they have done in the past. Therefore, they're going to treat them differently. So in simple terms, Jose, you're telling us that if the U.S. government recognized people from Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras as refugees, then tech, instead of asylum seekers, technically they're accepting blame for what happened during their foreign policies and the implications that they have in those countries. Yes.
A lot of people are asking, okay, I understand now the difference between refugee and asylum seeker. So from my understanding, people would be saying people who are coming to the port of entry are asylum seekers. So there's two ways that could happen, right? Is the mother from Guatemala comes to the port of entry, turns herself in, she comes with a child, then they put her in mandatory detention, separate her from her child. They don't tell her where the child is gonna go. The child doesn't know what is happening. And then they get separated indefinitely because right now we still don't know what's happening. The other part of it is that other family members have been hearing what is going on in the US and they know that they're gonna be separated from their families. So even though they're seeking asylum here in the US, they make the hard decision to cross illegally and be pretty much subject to dying in the desert of Arizona or Texas. And if they get caught, they will also be placed into indefinite detention. We know that in the past from previous episodes as well, that family detentions had existed and they actually skyrocketed in 2014 with President Obama. And there were three detention centers that were growing in capacity. However, families were being put in detentions as a unit, which is extremely horrified, and I cannot even speak because I'm a specialist even just to think that families are being put together in detention centers. But there was a change during this new Trump administration. Jose, can you tell us a little bit more about this zero tolerance policy at the voter? Who did it? Is it Trump? Is it ICBP, DHS, all these acronyms, break it down for us. Yeah, so you're referring to the zero uh, tolerance policy, which comes from the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. Uh, basically, what he says is that uh, we're going to deter the migration of migrants from Central America by separating children and their parents uh, at the border. So children go in one place, parents go in another place, and that's going to make the situation so horrifying that they're not going to come back. And that's what is happening. Um, and a judge um, basically told the administration, um, hey, you need to reunite the families because they have already spent their 20 days that they're mandatory to, to stay in detention. And gave them a deadline to put the families together. The administration, uh, which... Didn't do it. Uh, they didn't re- reunify the families, and they still haven't. So they missed the deadline, Jose. And I think, per my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong, but they were about fifty fam- fifty families who were approximately who were reunified out of more than two thousand. Correct? Yeah, but I think you're referring to fi- uh, fifty families whose children are under five years old. Because uh, they also gave within the within the judge order, from my understanding, they were saying that. Uh, they wanted to prioritize the younger children, right? And then they had kind of like a stagger. But then the reality is that they missed the deadline. We have many children who are being still separated from their families. And also I've heard that there's about 19 people who were already deported, and we don't know how are they going to reunify them with their kids. Yes, there's uh, several people, adults, who have been deported already. And the key highlight, in, which is true with the administration doesn't deny it, is that they, didn't have a pl- they had a plan to separate families. They never had a plan of 
<laughs> reunifying them, which in turn means that the ultimate goal was to just separate them. So that's the cruel reality that we're seeing right now. That is like, even though that we're not seeing it so much right now on the news, the true reality is that kids are still being separated from their families and adults. The majority of them had a legitimate fear and that's why they were asking for asylum. And instead of the U.S. government giving them a fair process, they decided them to detain them, separate them from their kids without even knowing if they were ever going to be reunified. And we know that because, as Jose said, they had no plan. Yeah, and the, the key thing now that is happening in terms of policy is that the reason that the U.S. government has to put children in a certain standards, like with the bathroom, with the toilet, with adequate bedding, is because of the Flores Settlement. Um, and that's happened in 1997. And the government, uh, the U.S. has actively trying to undo that policy. So we see that, okay, they did this, and they now are trying to actively take away the mechanisms and protections for children and family. So it's, it's really frightening because that's in the courts. Uh, and so far, the courts have been an ally at the lower uh, lower part. But if they go up or to the Supreme Court, things could be dramatically different. Where we can see this in several years from now where this is the norm, where children and family members are separated. And that's completely lawful and there's pretty much nothing we can do in the legal sense. So that brings us back to why is it important for us to be educated on this matter? And you might not get all these like policy um, cases that, that you're hearing in this podcast, but we, what we want you to take away from this conversation is that it is completely legal for the U.S. government at this moment to so be doing that. We have other courts that are fighting that, but as we're seeing, we have a new Supreme Court. It looks very differently, and it doesn't look really pro-immigrant as well. So we need to be able to be cognizant about what are the ways that either in our local governments or even by putting pressure on Congress to ensure that this doesn't continue to happen. So Reina, how is the border crisis connected to the never-ending cycle of detention? So it's actually more simple than we think it is. Right now we know that detention centers uh, make a profit out of people being there. There's something also called the bed quota, meaning that is how many how many people they have to have in detention centers in order to be at capacity. And this is something that was enacted by Congress many years ago, and it continues to be renewed every fiscal year, and their attempt is to increase the number of those bed quotas. Currently, there's approximately, please correct me if I'm wrong, Jose, 34,000, but then the current administration has tried to bump it up to close to 52,000 beds nationwide. So I'm going to say it again because I think it's pretty incredible if we think about that there's a specific law that says that 52,000 people potentially can be detained across our nation and they have to meet that quota. Currently, as I said, there's 34,000, but they want to increase it to 52,000. So how is this connected? If these detention centers are being owned by private corporations and make money, I don't have to be an economist, but they just make money out of how many people they have in those detention centers. The more people, the more money, the more profit that they make. Then it is in their best interest to have as many people in detentions in detention centers 
where they're gonna be there longer and longer periods of times. Another thing that is connected to the never-ending cycle of tension is that at the end of the day, this pretty much helps them to sell a narrative that if we have people coming in, we need to deport them and not really looking into their due process and they don't have and they don't have rights. So this is the whole deterrence strategy. Is there anything else that you would like to add or highlight, Jose, about how this is connected to the never-ending cycle of detention? Yeah, pretty much the owners of family detention centers and the makeshift detention centers for children and the detention centers, uh, i.e. programs outside, are owned by the same people who own the the huge detention centers overall. So everything is connected, basically. Um, Everybody... uh, the same owners own the detention centers for adults. They own detention centers for children. And they're just making money. So they're the same owners. They're the same owners. And the same owners also have a lot of money that then use them to lobby a specific senators and members of Congress. So then they can continue to expand the bed quota and they can continue to make these inhumane policies and practices legal so then it's easier for them to make more profit. And this is happening not in a third world country, but it's happening in our backyard here in the U.S., in our country, the land of the free. I know as we're wrapping up this podcast, a lot of people can feel frustrated, can feel anger, can feel disappointed or pretty much helpless. But we're here to be talking about, one, that you're not alone. We don't have to do this alone. We don't have to be suffering alone because if you're not angry, if you're not sad, that means that you're not human. And that's something that we have to remind each other, that it is completely okay to feel hopeless, to feel disappointed, but just shake it off after a little bit because a lot of the children and families and immigrants are counting on us. So what we're asking you to do is to stay connected with Aliento to making sure that you know about what are clear next steps that you can do to be involved. We have arts and healing workshops that we provide for the immigrant community where you can be integrated either by volunteering or even coming yourself if that's a place where you need to be in community where we can encourage one another to push forward and remind each other about our resiliency. So if you want to learn more, we're encouraging you to text the word Art Heals. It's one word. Make sure that if your phone autocorrects it, you just put it back together. Art Heals, A-R-T, Heals, H-E-A-L-S, to the number 33222. Once again, text Art Heals to 33222. We also put together a toolkit where you can learn... You can learn more information about what is happening at the border. You can have specific news articles, frequently asked questions, because it is extremely important that we are educating each other on this matter, especially with so many fake news going around. Knowledge is power. So go to our toolkit to, one, get education. Two, be able to donate and pitch in for organizations that are helping around this issue. And number three, most importantly, to call your representatives and tell them how you feel. 
and we're encouraging you not only to tell them how you feel, but to stop detaining asylum seekers and to give them a fair process. Our toolkit is our website, www.alientoaz, like Arizona.org forward slash voter crisis. One more time, alientoaz.org forward slash voter crisis. And make sure you check out our toolkit and you do those three call to actions. Maybe you're a superstar and you'll do all three, but maybe you are starting as slow and you just want to do one. But we are encouraging you that if you like this podcast or if you learn something new, please spread the word, spread awareness. Let's make sure that we're not staying with this information here. And stay tuned in because on our next episode, we're going to be talking more about the structures that allow this never-ending cycle to continue. It, because if we don't know the structures and the things that that are making these horrible things for immigrants, then we cannot change them. So thank you so much. Make sure that you stay hydrated. It is the summer and it's pretty hot and that you stay connected and just remember that you're not alone and we will get through this.